The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to P.I.'s Declassified, an inside look at the world of private investigators. Your host is Francie Kaler, a noted private investigator. Francie and her guests take you behind the scenes and into the genuine, sometimes gritty business of investigation. You'll hear stories from the trenches with plenty of surprises. Here's your host, Francie Kaler. Good morning. Today's topic, The Ethical Challenge with author Kitty Haley. Um, But first, we have to do our blast from the past historical question. Thanks to Ben Harrell of PI Museum, PIMuseum.com. The question uh, is about um, an author, George S. McWaters, who wrote a book during the middle of the 19th century. He's a former New York police detective and a private investigator. And in his book he says, and I quote, detectives are, for the most part, excellent citizens, very punctilious in observing the laws themselves as well as being social regulators to enforce others to respect them. Still, whatever intrinsic moral life or character of the detective may be, his art is a devilish one, and civilization is responsible for it. So the question is, what was the name of the book? And I'll provide the answer at the end of the show. So do you consider yourself to be an ethical person? Well, some people say that you either have ethics or you don't. Others say that ethics is situational or judged within their context. And, of course, then there are those who say that ethics and the application to a moral compass can be learned. What do you think? Does it depend on the situation or does it depend on a strict code of conduct? You can imagine private investigators are often faced with this threshold question in the context of an investigation while also balancing the interests of their clients. And you can imagine how conflicts of interest, moral values, the presence or absence of an ethical belief system might also be an issue. So confronting these issues and these questions and many more is author Kitty Haley. She's the writer of the only codification of ethics for private investigators, the Code of Professional Conduct, Standards and Ethics for the Investigation Investigative Profession. Let me tell you about Kitty. Kitty Haley is a certified legal investigator and a PI for over 35 years, and she describes herself as an old-fashioned gumshoe with a hard-world work ethic. She chose art originally as her profession, but then she was pulled into a life of locating missing people and finding stolen children and championing the cause of the wrongfully convicted. 
She's held offices in state and national private investigator associations. She's received many honors and awards for her work. And she has many writings, writings, but her book, the one I just mentioned, The Code of Professional Conduct, Standards and Ethics for the Investigative Profession, has become a standard fodder for private investigators around the world. Good morning, Kitty. Good morning, Francie. How are you doing? Good. You're calling in from uh, Pennsylvania? Yes, Philadelphia. Yes. Okay. And uh, tell us, Kitty, why you wrote this book. Oh, my. I wrote this book because it needed to be written. We're a profession that has been in existence forever, and it's really difficult to have people with different standards running around the country doing a variety of things and everyone making up their own rules and regulations. So it became time to kind of put it together and say, yeah, you can do this, but no, you can't do that. You're stepping over the line. So did you, did you see specific instances of issues that you thought needed to be addressed? Yeah, we had a couple of problems with investigators not knowing what could and could not be done. Um, we had a couple of unfortunate incidents where because of the acts of investigators, someone was harmed. And that's not acceptable. Mm-hmm. And then you have neophytes who come into the profession, and they need to have some direction. You've got to say, well, look, we're a state that has licensing, so you've got to be licensed. You just can't work here if you want to. You have to work here with a license. You have to be bonded. You have to be insured. And so all of those things become important. And none of this is brain surgery. It's just common sense. But it was a matter of actually putting it down in writing and say, hey, guys, pay attention. Well, and as someone, I remember a quote, common sense isn't necessarily so common. You've got it. Um, Basically, it's a book to avoid accidents. If we're all on the same page and we're all doing the same thing, then we're not going to have a problem. Now, the only problem with my book is that there is no national um, recrimination. There's nothing that says you must do this, but it's, a, it's like a handy reference guide. If you're not sure whether it's appropriate to do something, it gives you a guide to say, well, let me just take a look. And what I've done is codified and put together all of the existing rules and regulations from national and state associations. And uh, each one of them said something different, but they said the same thing. So I put it together and clarified it and explained it and hopefully made it easier for the investigator to have an understanding of what's expected of them. Mm-hmm. Good. And and um, you were telling me, Kitty, that since you've written this book, which is the original book was written uh, how long ago? Oh, my goodness. It's been almost 10 years. I wrote the original book, and it came out in 2002. I've since had a second rewrite because things change over time. So I've, I've had to make some changes based upon some standards that have changed over the years. And um, I'll probably do another rewrite in about four years. Okay. And then you were telling me that um, since you've written the book that you find that sometimes and when you're in uh, at investigator conferences or with other investigators, um, they feel somewhat uncomfortable being around you. Yeah, you know, it's really funny because I've written for years and I've been an investigator forever. And um, I've probably written over 50 articles. I I have um, chapters in a couple of industry standard books. And I was really thrilled with the work that I was doing. And, And I had a lot of investigator friends. And then I put out the Code of Professional Conduct. And the first conference that I went to, 
probably every other investigator who I saw said, oh, hi, Kitty, if you hear about that case I was working on, um, well, let me explain it to you. I really, <laughs> I think I did it right, but, um, oh, please don't judge me. And it, it just got really silly. Um, I don't judge anybody. That's not my goal. My goal was to make it better for us all so that we could all function and, and point to a book that says, hey, we've got standards. So, hey, legislators, you don't have to legislate rules for us. We've got our own rules, and we, we pretty much stay up to them. Have you ever had anybody apply the book or what you've written in the book against you? Well, I hope that I'm an ethical enough person that they don't have to. Um, I live by it. I mean, this book is basically, um, it's what I believe in. It is who I am. And I was very, very blessed to have two wonderful parents. And I'm, I'm finding out in this world that most people don't have that same blessing. They taught me some good rules and regulations. I believe in the golden rule. I'm not, I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I don't think my standards are um, the only ones that can be applied, but somebody's standards have to be used. And I'm applying my standards to existing rules and regulations in state associations. So it was a matter of putting it together and saying, hey, take a look at this. This is, this is pretty cool. You can live by it. It's not too demanding. It doesn't say that you have to do things that are difficult. It doesn't cost anybody any money. It just mm-hmm. says, let's be good to each other, let's be kind to each other, and let's be respectful and civil to each other. Sure. So what is the responsibility of a private investigator working for a client? Well, you've got a bunch of responsibilities. One is confidentiality more than anything else. So when I go to a party and people say to me, tell me stories, it becomes difficult and problematic. I can't tell a story about a current ongoing case because I have client confidentiality with that person. Now, if the case is over with and um, it's been litigated in uh, it's a matter of public record, I can probably talk about it to a certain extent, but... Uh, for the most part, you have to retain that client's confidentiality forever, which includes everything, including shredding their files after seven to ten years so that none of that information goes out into the public domain unless they give you permission. Another um, responsibility for the investigator would be to be truthful and honest. If you find information, you have to tell your client. You're not the arbiter of what you give the client. You don't withhold some things and give the client other things. They pay you for information. They need to know that information. And then in the same um, area of responsibility is to treat everybody well. If you're a licensed investigator, you go out on a uh, an interview, you don't Identify yourself as a police officer. You're not a police officer. You don't mislead the public. Mm-hmm. You tell them, I'm an investigator. This is what I'm working on. You identify yourself. You show identification. You make people comfortable. Where this isn't, uh, you know, CSI and NCIS and all of those acronym television programs. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, they make me crazy. I can't watch them anymore. Um, people just strong arm the public, treat them poorly, disrespect them. And that's what this book is all about, treating people with respect. Well, you know, that brings to mind um, when you're talking about telling the truth. Uh, There's been a big issue over the past several years since the HP breach, or HP investigation, uh, Hewlett-Packard, about pretexting. What would you say about pretexting? 
Well, I think there's a time and a place for pretexting. Uh, number one, there are some rules that we've got to follow. In criminal cases where we are working for an attorney, we have to work under their code of conduct and their rules. And their rules say that we cannot have contact with someone, uh, well, this would be criminal and civil, but we cannot have contact with someone who is already represented by counsel. So we can't use a pretext to talk with somebody who is represented by counsel. Right. Now, there are other instances where it might be appropriate to use a pretext, where the uh, welfare of a child is involved, where it becomes necessary to infiltrate a situation to see if somebody is being abused, perhaps in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. So when someone's safety and, and security are at stake, then there doesn't seem to be a problem with doing a pretext if it's done appropriately. But under uh, some of the laws, under Graham Leach Bliley, I can't pick up a phone and call someone and get financial information by pretending to be a bank. That would be totally against the law. Right. So, yeah, I, I agree. Pretexting is great, and I love it, and it's fun, and you can be a different person, but it depends on the situation. Everything is situational. And and you, part of that is you shouldn't be representing yourself as a, a specific individual or a specific company. Right. I, I could not say that I worked for AT&T because AT&T is a real company. Right. Uh, yes. So you have to be very, very careful. I can't misrepresent myself to that extent. And right now I do criminal work, and it's post-conviction capital habeas work. So I have to be exceptionally careful and always identify myself and show identification when I do an interview. Can you, uh, a couple of terms, why don't you explain what capital habeas work is? Because a lot of our listeners may not know. Well, a capital case is, is a death penalty. Is a yes, excuse me, a death penalty case. And capital habeas is the reinvestigation of cases for people who are currently on death row and have been convicted already. So okay. that's what I do. Um, it's with the through the Federal Defender Capital Habeas Unit, and uh, we are part of the Federal Public Defender Association. There are many, many offices around the country. I am really honored to be a part of Philadelphia's because it's one of the um, one of the best capital habeas units in the country, and I, I'm just thrilled to be a part of it. Okay, and then um, uh, habeas could come up because of new evidence, or it could be maybe uh, prosecutorial misconduct that wasn't identified at the time. Something right, like or actual innocence. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Actual innocence could be a possibility. So what we do is we actually have the opportunity of Monday morning quarterbacking, going back over a case that's already been litigated, seeing where the mistakes were, and starting from scratch and doing it all over again. So it becomes a um, a really good opportunity to thoroughly investigate a case. And I work with amazing attorneys who just do a beautiful job of evaluating the data that I'm able to gather and reapplying it to cases where there might have been a mistake on a lower level. Okay. We need to take a break, Kitty. Stay tuned for more conversation about the ethical challenges of private investigators. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. 
Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. If you hear a dog barking or an angel singing, then you know that you're listening to Waking Up in America. Heard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific Time, Valerie Kirkard and all of her friends will bring you powerful and humorous discussions that raise thoughts and give you insight on how to live your life to its fullest potential. Adventure is always a must on Waking Up in America with Valerie Kirkard every Wednesday at 3 Pacific. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Ethics. Everyone has an opinion about the application of ethics. Dictionary.com defines ethics as a system of moral principles. Two, the rules of conduct recognized in respect to a particular class of human actions or group, such as a culture, medical ethics, Christian ethics, all kinds of ethics. And three, moral principles as of an individual. Example is his ethics forbade betrayal of a confidence. So let's just talk about those confidences Kitty, because uh, we were just uh, referring to pretexting. So, how does pretexting and confidences coincide? Well, um, it's it's interesting because I think that we have to maintain the confidentiality of our clients, but we also have to be careful about 
probing into areas where we have no actual right to do so. Um, it, it's a gray area. There, there are problems with, um, let's just say, okay, with an adopted parent. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for example, if a woman has given up her child for adoption, and that was back in 1970, and she has come to her own conclusions, and she has justified herself with her own beliefs and her and her own God, and what she feels about having given up a baby, and then 18 years later, she's gone on with her life, and she has gotten married, and she has a new family, and and it's more appropriate for her now to bring children into the world than it was when she might have been underage, or there might not have been a father on the scene, mm-hmm. and now all of a sudden, someone comes back into her life because an investigator located her for an adopted child. Sure. Um, that might be getting into confidentiality in areas that, that are a little bit sticky. Does that woman have the right to retain her confidence, uh, her confidentiality? Does the child have a right to know who their parent is? You know, I don't know that the investigator has the right to make all of those decisions, but there are ways of handling those situations so that we're not intruding into lives and we're not causing harm or pain to anyone. Well, you know, I'm thinking uh, uh, a good friend of mine had a situation, and I, I can't remember exactly all the details, but the, the situation was that there was a sperm bank that had their records damaged. And I don't remember whether it was a fire or a flood or something like that, but they had their records damaged. And, of course, they're required to maintain uh, accurate and complete records on all of their sperm donors. And they were in a situation where they had to reconstruct the records. So my friend was charged with the responsibility of trying to contact these people to help reconstruct the records. Well, of course, she couldn't give out why she was calling because Ooh. all of that is highly confidential. Ooh. So Difficult problem. Every, huge problem. And so every call was under some kind of a pretext till she reached the person that she verified was the donor. Well, that goes back to the pretext situation that we just talked about. You know, um, there are times that things are appropriate and times that they are not. But mm-hmm. in, in, my, uh, in my code, what I basically say is that your bottom line is to do no harm, to not cause anyone personal, physical, or emotional harm if you can avoid it. It's not our goal. Our goal is, we're, as investigators, we're information gatherers. I'm not going to say that we're we're truth finders because who knows what the truth is. That can be very subjective. Mm-hmm. But we can gather data, and that's a wonderful thing. I always say that um, a defense investigator and a prosecution investigator should actually come up with the same information. It's the attorneys that use it differently. And, well, and really what this, this applies to in most respects is privacy. Privacy, you know, private investigators are put in the position of protecting the privacy and confidentiality of their client, but also perhaps the privacy of the person they're trying to, to search for. Right, exactly. And, and there's a way of handling that. Um, if, if someone asks an investigator to locate an individual, then it's imperative that the investigator question why that locate is necessary. 
mm-hmm. whether it's for litigation, whether it's for a personal reason. Um, it could be that someone is unhappy with an ex-girlfriend, wants to locate her and perhaps do her harm. Mm-hmm. So we have to be careful of that. And so our, our industry standard at the moment is you tell your client that I'm going to find her for you, but I'm going to ask her if she wishes to be found. And if she does, then we will switch information so that you can communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. And if she does not, um, but there's a good reason for you wanting to communicate with her, then maybe through a third party we can arrange a letter to go from one person to the other. Um, there are all ways of handling it. There are other times, of course, that someone has to be found for executing on a judgment or for a court matter or for litigation purposes. That's a different story. But when it comes to privacy, we don't want to locate someone who is then harmed because someone is angry with them. Sure. So there's a there's the you know the ethical conundrum. There is um, we have to understand our clients, and then we have to also follow our our, um, our common sense. And a good rule of thumb it would be to always apply the standard of letting the the person you are contacting make the decision on whether they wanted to be contacted by someone who is searching for them, unless it has to do with a, a legal matter. Exactly. A specific well, legal matter where you're working under attorney. I, I always say that there are actually three parts to ethics. There's ethics, morals, and scruples. Okay. Okay. Ethics tends to be the principles that are a set of right principles for a group. And this, these are, of course, ethics described by Kitty Haley, not by Webster or anyone else, but it's my own personal dictionary. And that Kitty is Haley, that um, the rules or standards that govern the way a group has decided that they should function. So the code of ethics for investigators is those standards that work best for this profession, as opposed to the code of ethics for real estate agents, which would be different. Mm-hmm. Um, morals tends to be an individual Ethic, um, I actually, I think when, when you say the word morals, people think immediately of sex. It's a personal thing. Uh, although it, it doesn't, by definition, mean that. I tend to believe that ethics is the group and morals is the individual. But scruples is that little voice in the back of your head that when somebody calls you up and says, I have a job for you, I'd like you to wiretap my brother-in-law's house, that little voice in the back of your head should say, uh oh, and it's that uh oh that makes you think. Nah, I don't think that's right. Maybe I should check and see if that's legal. Can mm-hmm. I do that? Is that something that I'm allowed to do? Mm-hmm. And if you're not allowed to do it, then you go with your gut feeling and you don't pursue it. Uh, there's absolutely no reason that we have to do things just because people tell us to do it. So um, using those three terms, ethics, morals, and scruples, I go with the uh oh a whole bunch. And don't you find that the majority of the public believe that private investigators can do anything? Oh, it's amazing, isn't it? And again, I'm going to blame that on television. Not uh-huh. only can we not do anything, but we don't do it in a half an hour with two commercials. You know, it takes us a little while to develop a case. And unfortunately, even attorneys believe now that we can uh, do miracles in a minute because we have the Internet. Well, the Internet is a tool just like the telephone book used to be a tool. Mm -hmm. I think you may remember telephone books. Um, I am old (laughs) enough to know them. But, um, you know, there are are difficult things to be determined. There are people to be seen. There uh, is information to be gathered. And just because it's on the Internet doesn't make it true. We've got a responsibility to go and check it out. Uh, Wikipedia changes descriptions as it feels like it. 
that doesn't make a Wikipedia description the right one or the proper one or the accurate one. So our, our responsibility is really great. Yes, it is. It requires us to verify all information and quote the source of where that information came from. Exactly. And that um, makes everything we do uh, above board and legal. Uh, and in, in criminal cases, we have discovery that we have to deal with where our, um, our work product is no longer just the work product of the attorney, and it becomes difficult and problematic. We can't hide things. We have to reveal what we find. Mm-hmm. So we've got to be very careful that we do it right and we do it properly and we document it in an appropriate manner. Mm-hmm. Well, Kitty, give me an example of a situation that uh, you ran into a problem with on a case. Well, here's an interesting one. This was something that was done to me. Um, I had... Um, I was unable to do a particular job because I was overwhelmed and overworked. So I subcontracted a surveillance on a domestic case to a client. And to another investigator. Kitty, would and, you explain to excuse me? Would you explain yeah. what a domestic case is? Oh, I'm sorry. It was um, a, a cheating situation. Okay. Um, Dad wanted to know who Mom was seeing when he was away on business trips. Okay. And so I needed surveillance done at a particular location for a particular period of time. And I was unable to do it, so I contacted another investigator in my area and said, hey, would you like to earn some money? You'll be working for me, but um, I need you to communicate with the client in this particular case. Uh, generally, I would do all the communication with the client myself, but I didn't have time. I was busy. I was running out on another case, and I wasn't going to be in the area. And this other person said, sure, of course I'll handle it. And then he proceeded to meet with the client and try to cut me out of the middle. He mm-hmm. tried to step on my toes, steal my client, and take the case by saying, I can do it for you cheaper. Um, let's cut out the middleman and let me work for you directly. Well, mm-hmm. I find that highly unethical. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, the client was a friend of mine who contacted me and said, mm, shouldn't use this person anymore. So there are things that we should do for respecting each other as well. Um, investigators are really not in competition with each other. There's mm-hmm. enough work out there for everybody. You don't have to step on people's toes or, or uh, sell somebody out. Okay. All right. So um, I, I'm thinking that the same thing applies not only to a, a private client, like you're describing there, but if many of um, private investigators work for attorneys, and often you find somebody that has maybe an employee of a private investigator that knows the attorney, goes to that attorney, and, and uh, tries to take that person's business. Exactly. It can be a problem, and we have to respect each other. We're a very small and elite group of people. We do a lot of good, and we've got to respect that about each other. Exactly. Okay, more to come from Kitty Haley. We'll be right back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations 
When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call 1-800-350-CALI. For a national association, Francie's choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on PI's Declassified. IRB Search is simply the best online data provider for locating people, businesses, and assets. IRB Search gives you strength in numbers. With one click, you can access billions of records. Even with partial information on your subject, IRB Search instantly returns current and past addresses, phone numbers, and more. Call IRB Search today at 1-800-447-2112 to sign up. Mention PIs Declassified and you'll receive a two-week trial of 100 free searches to get started. Call 1-800-447-2112 to find out why IRB Search is simply the best. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. Ethics? What is it? With me is author Kitty Haley, who wrote the book, The Code of Professional Conduct, Standards and Ethics for the Investigative Profession. And we were just talking about some situations. So, Kitty, um, while we were off on, in the break here, we were just talking about um, people looking for a private investigator, what kind of fees they're quoted, how they should find a qualified investigator. Could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. You know, we cannot set fees at our industry. That would be actually inappropriate because... You would not charge the same thing in New York City as you would charge in um, Joplin, Missouri, just because of the, uh, the demographics or the economics of the area. So different areas demand different types of fees, and different jobs demand different types of fees. The important thing for the investigator is to 
discuss fees out front and make sure that it's agreed upon with the client. Now, it's interesting. Um, what I do when I go to um, a seminar and I talk on ethics, I come up with a group of scenarios that are appropriate to the group, and I usually throw them out so that the people attending the seminar can give me feedback and tell me what they think and what, what a good standard is in their mind, and then we discuss it. It's much better than my talking for an hour and a half. Um, they have a chance to participate. And I always give the example of what I call willy-nilly in his fees, which is um, a situation where we all know somebody who comes to a conference and starts bragging about the $500 an hour he charges for this particular work or the $600 an hour he charges for that work. Well, the reality is there are investigators that charge $25 an hour. And there are investigators that charge $50 an hour or $125 an hour. And it can be situational and it can depend on where you are. The important thing is that you don't come up with a bill at the end of the the case and you tell your client that'll be $3,000 when he had no idea and thought maybe it was going to be 200 bucks. Mm-hmm. So you have to be honest and truthful. And you can charge what you wish to charge because there is no fee setting and it depends on your ability and your experience and your um, access to information because that's what a client is paying for. And how would an individual, if I were calling around to find a qualified private investigator, how would I find one? Well, I think that you do that. You call around and you find investigators. You can go on the Internet and you can put in the name of your state and investigator association or um, Uh, private investigators, and then the name of the state. And you might come up with a professional association, which I think is the best way to do it because people who join professional associations are interested not only in networking, but they're interested in learning. And so they tend to be more up-to-date with state-of-the-art industry standards. They're educated on changes in the law. They're educated in how to perform particular cases and they become a, a riper field for really good qualified investigators. Mm-hmm. But I suggest that you don't call one. I suggest you call two or three. And give them your case situation without giving them specifics because you don't want to uh, divulge too much information to any individual. And, and talk to them. Find out if you are compatible with that person. Do you think you could work with them? Is he or she just being a braggart, or are they backing it up with information and, and sources and resources that are going to be helpful to you? Because you're going to be you're relying on this person to help you through a situation you can't solve yourself. It's kind of like working with a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. You need somebody you can have confidence in, and then you need to set fees and parameters and limits, and hopefully you will then let go and let the investigator do the job because if you micromanage, you will never get the job done right. And what about licensing, Kitty? You know, all states do not have licensing, and it's really interesting because Colorado has just come through with a voluntary licensing um, regulation, which is kind of cool. They could not pass a licensing law, but they're now into registering as a voluntary licensing situation. Um, most states, however, do have licensing. You can stay, check usually with the um, state police or the Department of Licensing or um, check with your, um, your state um, associations to find out how licensing is done. But it sets a requirement, and it's, it's very important to have licensing. It says to the public and to the investigator, 
hey, if you don't do it right, your license is going to be revoked. Mm-hmm. And there's a punishment so that there's more of um, a pressure upon the investigator to do it right and not to abuse the law and not to do something inappropriately. And that's not to say that, that investigators abuse the law, but if you have someone who is, is giving you standards, then you tend to live up to those standards. Without them, um, you can kind of run amok, and you want to make sure that no one, again, no one is hurt by doing the work that we do because we are a helpful industry. We are a service industry, and we work for the public. So I think our responsibilities are greater because we work for the public, and, and we have their um, their personal and private problems uh, in our hands. We have to help them. Yeah, and, you know, early in the program, um, Kitty, you mentioned the Graham-Leach-Bliley law, and I just wanted to go back to that because that happened in Colorado, uh, and it happened surrounding the John Benet Ramsey case, um, which I'm sure everybody's familiar with, the little girl that was uh, murdered in Boulder, Colorado, and an individual who was working in Colorado, um, pretext, we're talking about pretext as well, pretext John Ramsey's bank for his financial information. And that's where the bill that ended up being enacted into law came from, known as Graham-Leach-Bliley, which, is our, which are the names of the, uh, the legislators that authored the bill. And or sponsored or whatever they call it these days in Washington D.C. So, um, not that it would prohibit somebody that was um, in that case. It wasn't against the law, but it was certainly crossing the line. And I believe what also happened is the information was sold to the tabloids, and that's how it all came to light. But there's an example of what you would identify as scruples, correct? Oh, absolutely. And and it's interesting because you pointed out to me, and I really didn't realize it at the time, that the person who did it was not an investigator, mm-hmm. not a licensed investigator, not a person in the investigative industry, which actually makes me very happy and relieved mm-hmm. that someone did in our field did not um, overstep their bounds. Absolutely. And not that, you know, every profession has people that cross the line for sure. You know, we hear all the time about doctors or police officers or real estate agents or um, congressmen, <laughs> uh, senators. Recently in the press, there may have been something like that. Um, but uh, every profession has something. But you're right about the standards. Unless you have standards, you don't have anything to measure, measure we, up to. We actually have fewer incidences of malpractice than any other profession that I know of because investigators are a subject to that just like doctors are or attorneys are. But generally, if you're finding fact and information, that's not something that's disputable. And Kitty, what about something like, um, shifting a little bit, what about something like accepting a case on a contingency? Ooh, ow, that's a scary one. Uh, There are instances where contingency is allowed. There are also instances where it's not. For example, it is totally inappropriate in both the Attorney's Code of Ethics and in my own, which is uh, the standard for the industry, that you cannot um, do, uh, I'm trying to think of what the proper word for it is, I guess it's case running. You, you cannot have an investigator going out and um, ambulance chasing for okay. fees. You cannot split fees 
for the purpose of litigation. And the reason for that is really simple. If I were to accept money from a personal injury attorney for the outcome of a case, then I might be prejudiced when I'm taking statements to slant them in a way that's going to get me more money as opposed to getting at the truth. So we have to be very, very careful that we do not accept money uh, in a case that's under litigation where there's a financial reward. Now, it is different if, for example, um, all of the heirs of uh, Mr. Um, uh, Big Money uh, have hired an investigator Mm-hmm. to find out where Mr. Big Money has hidden his assets because they all stand to benefit. And it's okay at that point for them to say, we'll give you um, 10% of whatever you find or 20% of whatever you find because we don't know where he hid his money. Mm-hmm. And we will all benefit from it if you can locate it. There are also air finders who are perfectly legal, who are um, able to relocate people with their lost assets in other words, uh, let's say Grandmom gave you um, a stock or uh, a, a municipal uh, a bond or something that that has gone by the wayside and you never knew about it. Grandmom died, and you don't know where your money is. Well, the state collects all those funds that have gone dormant, and it's okay for an investigator to try to locate the person whose name is on that stock or on that bond and reunite them with their asset at a, um, at a fee. And so, yeah, you can split fees in some situations, but never where it's going to affect the outcome of a case because the investigator might have been prejudiced. And that person that is located has to sign an agreement as well, don't they? With Absolutely. The they have to agree that they will um, allow the money to be dispersed with a particular percentage going to the investigator. There are actually companies that, that do this wholesale, and they are quite large. And I'm, I'm sure half our listening audience has gotten a letter that said, we've located an asset that you don't know you own. And it's confusing, but it basically means we have money that belongs to you. And probably it's true. But if you look hard enough, you might actually find it yourself. Well, and we're going to have on the, on this show um, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have uh, a noted air finder by the name of John Hoda. So that oh, yeah. should be quite interesting to follow up from this particular show here. Um, Time to take another break, Kitty. Um, more to come from Kitty Haley and, and the answers to Blast in the Past historical question. Stay tuned. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Need to hire a private investigator? Ask for their professional association affiliations. When an investigator asks Francie Kaler about associations, she says to first join a state trade association. Francie belongs to the California Association of Licensed Investigators, or CALI. It's the largest association of its kind in the world. CALI's main focus is networking, training, and legislative advocacy. If you need a detective in California, contact CALI at cali-pi.org or call one 800 350 C-A-L-I. 
For a national association, Francie's Choice is the National Council of Investigation and Security Services, or NCISS. For over 35 years, the council's primary mission has been to represent its members before the United States Congress and governmental agencies. Find the council at NCISS.org or call 1-800-445-8408. NCISS and Cali are great places to look for a qualified private investigator. Tell them you heard it from Francie on P.I.'s Declassified. Go behind the scenes of what you see, hear, and read on the news. Learn the ins and outs of public relations on Stars of PR with Cindy R. Every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time. Cindy Rakowitz is a Clio Award winner and founder of Rock and Roll Public Relations who wants to share her PR experiences and knowledge with you. Learn how to handle a crisis, deal with celebrities, and become a terrific PR executive. Listen to the Stars of PR with Cindy R. every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time here on News Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. What would you do if you knew that you could not fail? The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili is a radio forum for some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Dr. Pat brings together and introduces visionary scientists and futurists, environmentalists, educators, business leaders, inventors, filmmakers, authors, artists, mystics, and healers who inspire and support individual and collective growth and positive cultural shifts. This award-winning radio show empowers the listening community to be the change they want to see in the world. Tune in every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific for the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili, Radio to Thrive By. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to P.I.'s Declassified with Francie Kaler. You can call into the program. We'll take questions and comments at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You can also email your question to Francie. Send it to francie at pisdeclassified.com. Now, here's Francie Kaler. It's time for the answer to our blasphemous past historical moment. The question, what was the name of the book authored by George S. McWaters, former New York City police detective and private investigator, that he wrote in the middle of the 19th century? And the answer is, it was called Knots Untied. Knots, K-N-O-T-S, Untied, Ways and the Byways in the Hidden Life of American Detectives. It was published by Hartford and written by J.B. Burr and Hyde in 1871. Isn't that great? He lived um, from 1812 to 1886. He also says, um, society creates for the most part the crimes which it punishes, which I think is an interesting statement. And then he made some comments about investigators. And he said this, and I'm interested in Kitty's comment uh, after I read this, Quoting, there are but there are, are but two great classes in civilization: the oppressed and the oppressors, the trample upon and the tramplers. To the later class belongs the detective. He is dishonest, crafty, unscrupulous when necessary to be so. He tells black lies when he cannot avoid it, and while lying, at least, 
is his chief stock and trade. He is the outgrowth of a diseased and corrupted state of things and is consequently morally diseased himself. His very existence is a satire open to open society. He is miserable, a miserable snake, not in a paradise, but in the social hell. And then he added, his calling is a very noble one and singularly blessed one, inasmuch as it is the only one which I can call to mind by which hypocrisy is elevated into a really useful and beneficial art. So, Kitty, <laughs> what do you think of that statement? Oh, my God. Um, okay, uh, I, I think the man is jaded, but, um, oh, wow. You know, it's interesting because I once did a surveillance on neighbors who were cheating with each other. Mm. And I remember very clearly having to go to court and testify that neighbor at apartment 201 was having an affair with neighbor at apartment 202 when their spouses both left for work. And after I testified and after court, the woman called me up on the phone and she said to me, how can you sleep with yourself at night? That's terrible (laughs) that you testified against me for cheating on my husband. And I said to her, I'm sorry, ma'am, but I don't sleep with myself. I sleep with my husband, (laughs) not someone else's. So, um, yeah, you know, it's, it's a difficult situation because we are observing other people's inappropriate behavior in many cases, but that doesn't make us inappropriate. So I tend to disagree with him. I don't think we're the tramplers, but I do think we are the people who uncover and discover the ills of society. And yeah, sometimes it jades us, but for the most part, I do feel that it's a noble calling, and I am very proud of what I do because I write a lot of wrongs, and I correct a lot of um, misconceptions, and I help a lot of people, so I'm very happy with myself. Well, and also times have changed since 1871. Oh, yes. 2011. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We have to be very careful. We're not living in a, um, in, in a good society anymore, and it's sad. People take advantage of each other. So I don't think the investigator is the trampler. I think the investigator is perhaps the, the camera's eye that is, um, and has an opportunity to look at society and just play it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I and I also think um, you know both of us know hundreds and hundreds of investigators, you know, across the United States and around the world. And I would say, without question, the majority are people that I would consider uh, friends. Absolutely. And that want to do the right thing doesn't mean we don't make mistakes along the way, but hopefully they're not mistakes of scruples. Right. I, I couldn't agree more, and, and I, I just hope that the next wave of investigators who comes in as a result of all of these wonderful new courses and classes that are being offered uh, don't believe that they are uh, what's on television, that they start to understand that their responsibility to the public is really very great, and they have an opportunity to do some amazing good by finding and correcting circumstances that might um, not otherwise happen if they weren't on the job. Mm-hmm. Absolutely true. Yeah. Well, you, have, you gave me some uh, situations, and we were talking about, um, we were talking about contingency uh, before the break. You, you had a situation about accepting kickbacks. What would you say about that? Um, well, we, 
we kind of touched on that a little bit where it's it's totally inappropriate on um, you know there's nothing wrong with an investigator um, sharing a fee if he or she gives you a case and says you know I'd like you to work this for me uh, and there's nothing wrong with paying another investigator a thank you for referring a case to you but a sure. kickback um, for the most part if it affects the the ultimate outcome of a case or could prejudice the investigator. It's just so inappropriate. It's just wrong. So you want to treat your clients and treat your colleagues like you want to be treated and like you would treat your best friends. You know, I could have saved myself a lot of trouble and just quoted the golden rule. (laughs) It it wouldn't have been a book that I could sell to anybody, for one thing, and it would not have explained the circumstances and situations individually. But it's really a matter of living your life in in a a moral way that doesn't hurt other people. Treat other people as you would like to be treated. Um, Be honest. Be forthright. Don't do what you can't do. And uh, if you can't do it, then at least let the other let the client know it and have the option of whether they want to hire you anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, I think uh, that's a good place to end the show, Kitty. If you want to know more about Kitty, how to contact her, are interested in where to get her book, go to PICclassified.com under today's show, An Ethical, the, An Ethical Challenge. And a link to her website is found under her bio. If you want to learn more about the history of detectives, spies, and private eyes, go to PIMuseum.com. And if you want to see those artifacts continue to be preserved, sign up as a member. The instructions are on the website. If you have a topic to recommend for the show, please send me an email personally to Francie at PICclassified.com. Many thanks to the sponsors to PIC Classified, Brownyard Programs Insurance, IRB Search, Maryland Information Services, PI Magazine, Tamara Thompson, and PI Museum. Link to these sites and more can be found at PICclassified.com. Tune in as we declassify more real stories from real investigators like Kitty Haley. It's PIC Classified. I'm Francie Kaler. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to P.I.'s Declassified with your host, Francie Kaler. Tune in every Thursday at noon Eastern Time. That's 9 a.m. for you West Coast listeners. P.I.'s Declassified explores stories of deceit, mystery, and detectives unraveling the truth. Every Thursday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific Time, here on the Voice America Variety Channel.